Hello and welcome to the AD Forums podcast for the 11th of December 2013. I'm Steve Withers, and joining me for this edition are games editor Mark Botwright. I'll give you a week's lunch, Manny. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. Corn nuts. Movies editor Simon Crust. All right, got an issue of stud puppy. And audio reviewer Ed Selly. Grow up, Heather. Believe me, it's so 87. Uh, right, since I'm running things these days, it's a much tighter ship. We'll go straight to hardware news. Maxell Soundbar, I thought they made cassettes. What's this all about, Mark? Funny, Ed should mention 1987, because that was about the last time I considered buying a Maxell product. Uh, I think it was a tape cassette. So I'd not heard anything of them until uh, we got a press release a, a few weeks ago. And they're the latest in a line of long, uh, long line of manufacturers to be entering the lifestyle audio uh, market. So they've got a couple of Bluetooth speakers. And this product, which but it's a curious looking thing, it's, it's, it's massive. You could uh, double up as a canoe almost, um, or you sleep your cat on it, or a small dog. Retro styled, or in a way, it's kind of a black ash look to it. But the size does allow for a load of connections. So you've got three HDMI in, one at one out, arc, Bluetooth, stereo, uh, 3.5 millimeter aux. Control is a bit nasty, but the general the general display is quite nice and it's, it's pretty easy to use. Sounds okay. Uh, it's got a couple of downfiring woofers underneath. Gives it a bit of impact. Good sound stage because it has, is so wide. Uh, you can sit a, an 80 kilo telly on top of it should you have one uh, yeah it was it was a pretty good product and it's priced at um 229 i think it was so competitive and compared to similar products we've that i've had in the house which is to get the idea it's it's you want to put your tv on top of it that's the idea it's the ultimate it's in, a plinth isn't it basically? a plinth yeah that's how they describe it um LG call theirs a sound plate panasonic i can't remember what they call theirs but this it seems to be the latest thing that they're all coming out with you know, not even having a, a separate sub, so it's it's very neat and tidy solution. And this one was the best of the three I've heard, so it was yeah, pretty good. Then they claim that it can take up to eighty kilograms. Eight, yeah, as I said eighty kilos. So which actually I mean, I is, is as I much as test the, that out. the Toshiba I reviewed uh, last week, the eighty-four inch. That's how much? Well, I think it's seventy-seven kilos. Yeah, but um, I think the dimensions of the stand of that one would would uh, rule it out so you've, you've got or, a safe or anyone with, with a 36 inch crt yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then you wouldn't need this product would you because the speakers are probably all right and um but yeah it was a it's, a it's a funny looking thing a real oddity and but it sounds better than the competition but by virtue of it being bigger i think did you manage to discover what they've been up to for the last 20 odd years just making batteries and floppy disks and, and that, mini discs floppy really discs mini discs <laughs> floppy disks i don't know i don't know how long it is. That was part of what they've done. That explains the early nineties. What about the rest of it then? <laughs> Batteries, I think, has been the main the main thing. CDRs as well. CDRs, yeah, that kind of storage medium. So they make sticky they make sticky tape as well, don't they? Mark, the pictures in the review, did you take those yourself? Some of them. Yeah, because you've got a really, really small telly. On top of this it. This one here. Yeah, it was just it was just out of convenience. The, the, the alternative was lugging a sixty-inch plasma in from, in from the other room to take the photo. Maybe it's but, a very big TV, but it's such a massive. It's, it's, it's that's, long that's, that's an eighty-four inch. Uh, <laughs> it's just a long way away. Okay. Yeah, it's just an awful long way away. No, it was a, it was a reasonably small telly, but yeah, it was just convenience. I couldn't look a sixty-inch plasma from room to room just for the sake of a photo. Sorry, plus <laughs> it wouldn't fit because it had those quad the quad foot stand. So no, that wouldn't fit on it. it has to be a rectangular base. Okay, well that's that's Maxell's soundbar, and uh, keeping with the audio theme for a bit, uh, I've just reviewed the Marantz um, SR seven double eight receiver, which is their new flagship receiver, AV receiver, replacing the uh, most surprises here SR seven double oh seven from last year. Uh, basically, the differences are minimal. They've added two more channels of amplification, so now it's got nine channels, and they've added DTS Neo X uh, and Odyssey Multi Q XT thirty two. I've got to say, and, and Ed can probably maybe chip in here too if he wants to, but generally I tend to find that uh, Japanese receivers are, are quite sort of toppy on the on the power side of things and a bit less subtle than some of their European or American counterparts. Um, this Marantz was surprisingly subtle for, for a Japanese receiver, um, a bit lacking in some respects in terms of power, although having said that, since I've just come off the back of the data set, I think anything would seem a bit light compared to that setup. Um but yeah, I was, I was quite surprised. It was quite musical um, for an AV receiver, and I was genuinely quite impressed with the performance. 
Well, they're voiced by the Germans these days. Almost all Marantz audio are products. They? they are. I explain yes. to them. That may explain. Um, and uh, yeah, they, I think possibly it's a bit tiring with the, with the, the same brush to say they're all bright. I um, always found that Yamaha stuff was a bit a bit fuller, a bit warmer, but Pioneer and Onkyo did tend mm. towards the bright. Uh, Denon, it depended on the model year. Um, I will say that the one thing they haven't thrown the baby out of the bathwater, that's still in the same way that you can describe any AV receiver as good looking. That's still a nice piece of industrial design. This latest Marantz exterior styling, I really like that. Yeah, um, you're right. It's um, it's a, obviously a clear throwback to the Marantz amplifiers of old because it's got a little round display window in the middle, um, which take me which obviously you know, like. Uh, otherwise, you know, these days they tend to all look a bit similar. Black boxes with a, two knobs and a display in the middle and a flap drop down flap. This at least is a little bit different. It has the round display and then in the drop down flap there is another display in there. Uh, but you're right. Right head is actually quite attractive for a for a um, AV receiver. Uh, it's basically, it seems as though um, in terms of its feature set and general, you know, amplification, that kind of thing, it's now pretty much a, a, a twin of its um, stable mate, the Denon 4520. Um, but as you say, uh, I think in terms of its, um, its voicing, it was, it was definitely different from the 4520, which I've also reviewed. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a surprisingly warm and subtle performance, which, which, which I have to say quite pleased me. Well done. Okay, that, that rounds up really for hardware news this week. Uh, we're back in a minute with games news. Okay, this is a chance for um, actually for Ed to rant, I think, because I'm going to bring up the, the, a, a thorny subject here. Gran Turismo 6 had sold significantly less than Gran Turismo 5. Uh, Ed, what's up with it? Um, it has lost sight of what the Gran Turismo games are about. And I think this puts me at odds with almost all the, the actual video game reviewers doing the review and they're going, oh, they've corrected some of the errors that meant that you couldn't, you know, take a monstrously overpowered car to win the race of your choice. To which my response is, that's entirely the point. Gran Turismo, basically, um, it was one of those games where there was no, for it had, had no artificial sense of fairness. If you wanted to take the automotive equivalent of a, a gun to a knife fight, you could. If you wanted to do close racing, you could also do that. It didn't decide for you. Furthermore, um, it used to do sensible sort of racing things like you see most of the time, like grid starts and other stuff like that. This latest version is, it's beautiful. It's very, very big. Um, it Like GTA 5, it represents pretty much the, the, the maximum that you're ever going to see out of the PS3, and it is completely soulless. When I think back to the joy i mean just the eye-popping excitement of the original one 15 years ago um this i mean as i say i bought it on review on the release day i've put a couple of hours in and i just don't feel the urge to go back to it and that pretty much sort of is the first time that that's ever happened with a with a gran turismo game i'm sure that if you're 12 uh, you'll think it's fantastic um and it it's you know trying to do all sorts of things that make it more you know, I suppose more friendly to, to, to a, a newer generation of racers, but leaves me cold and the appearance of downloadable content in at just the same point where they half the number of price cars and reduce the amount of money you win for racing just seems deeply and unpleasantly cynical, if I'm honest. I don't think the reason that it's failed to sell, you know, it sold, what, a fifth of Gran Turismo 5s in, in the launch week, Um I don't think that's solely down to the fact that, you know, it's, you know, perhaps word of mouth or people feel there are faults with it. it. If you look at the charts, the amount of titles out there that are, you know, multi-format on five different platforms, you know, this was always going to run the risk of getting bumped down. You've just had new consoles released. So you've got Call of Duty, you've got Battlefield 4, you've got Assassin, latest in the Assassin's Creed series, you've got... Grand Theft Auto 5 still riding high there. I mean, obviously, Polyphony won't have liked the fact that it's behind Just Dance 2014 and Lego Marvel <laughs> Superheroes. But still, it, it's kind of... It, there's always a problem when you're so close to the launch of new hardware that something coming out on previous generation uh, might just not grab everyone's attention. And there is that slight problem, which is that Gran Turismo, it's... 
they're slow to release these kind of iterations and to a certain extent the market that was there have they've all moved on to other things they've found other stop gaps and found themselves kind of nestled into other franchises and so it's hard to regain that momentum to get everyone as excited as they were i mean the original was it was an event you know it, it doesn't seem like that anymore what's the no, story behind the microtransactions pricing then oh uh well the, the story is is that depending on who you believe uh it's either grossly cynical and um you know tied to the fact that they know that that's perhaps the the pricing model going forward to to make real money um or it's a way for people who don't have the amount of time to invest to be able to get some of the better cars and upgrades and the like. That's, I mean, let me get straight there. How much does the game cost to buy, Ed? Well, I, I bought it in Tesco, so I paid 38 quid. Um, uh, and then in the game, four pounds of your real money buys you half a million pounds of fictional game credit, uh, rising to another 40 pounds, buying you seven million of the fictional game currency to put that into perspective some of the cars in the game are 20 million so you would be looking notionally at blowing 120 quid or thereabouts to actually to just outright buy some of the most expensive cars in the game um it's not actually that's by the by because more often than not they do turn up as prize cars so that's not the same that's not my issue with it it's more that effectively all the way up to GT5, you won cars and you win a prize car and it would seem very arbitrary. And you go, I don't quite know what I'm going to do with that. And later on, you'd, you'd level up and you would reveal that there was a race for either that specific sort of car or a, a category that that car was eligible for. And it was possible to complete vast tracks of the game without necessarily having to buy many cars. And it was often quite a challenge to use the car they'd given you to do it. And this just knocks that on the head. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I actually, <laughs> having decried it, I found I had £4.80 in my PlayStation wallet, which I'd forgotten <laughs> about from years ago. So it's not a bollocks. I just bought half a million credits because I had money I'd forgotten about. Um, and then I felt dirty and didn't actually spend any of it. But uh, that's by the by. That's just me being weird. Um, and half a million doesn't actually go that far. It's just it is breathtakingly cynical. Sorry, just is. Um, Mark, a story that you've picked up on, which is spy agencies have targeted Xbox Live and World Warcraft. Uh, what's this about? Yes, uh, this is, again, from The Guardian, uh, rolling on this, the story of uh, Edwin Snowden, Edward Snowden uh, whistleblowing on the intelligence agencies. And this is a story that basically they were advised uh, to start targeting Xbox Live and World of Warcraft um, to get access to things like chat logs and even and this bit i don't know why but it just tickled me somehow to get agents deployed into world of warcraft <laughs> uh, i just imagine somewhere there's a george smiley figure being told to create a level one paladin and work his way up from there <laughs> I just, I just, the mental image of a bloke in big big rimmed glasses being called a <laughs> by some 14 year old over <laughs> on a live game <laughs> Can I just say, I want that job. Oh, it sounds great. <laughs> I'm defending the free world by hooning around and calling people tits on a massively multiplayer online game. Hey. <laughs> so, so basically, we've discovered that the uh, that the the reach of the NSA just infiltrates every aspect of our lives now. It, well, it's the problem is is that it's kind of this weird blue sky thinking is back to you know the men who stare at goats you know that obviously someone will have come up with this idea and the more of these documents that leak someone will have come up with an idea to you know put subliminal messages on chocolate hobnobs or something you know truly weird and this is the kind of thing that always comes out the question is whether in fact they've had access to to xbox live discussions which is what is alleged so you know that's that's the kind of when it gets a bit more serious, but I, it just all sounds vaguely laughable. I mean, there there must be better ways of, you know, targeting terrorism and the like. You know, I, yeah, I just yeah, I, I'm I not so. sure there is a sleeper cell anywhere that's in <laughs> that's joining up on World of Warcraft. You know, it all sounds a little bit Chris Morris. You know, just we just hate Western bizarre. capitalism, but we'll subscribe to World of Warcraft. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing that in itself it's vaguely ridiculous, but. In terms of communicating via a medium where there's so much noise to sig, is it actually workable? Could you do it? 
Oh, yeah, but I mean, the problem is, is that if you were trying to pick out keywords, even things like, um, you know, keywords with regards to terrorism, say, on Xbox Live, how would you filter that out? I mean, you jump into one game of, you know, Call of Duty or something, and you will be abused from the start. It's like saying, you know, I'll prosecute someone for death threats on Twitter. It's, you know, at a given point, you just say, at what point are you, you know, pissing into the wind here? But my I, point I is that from the other perspective, from being a black hat, being a, being a, being a bad guy, that very noise does, there is a, an interesting... So they blend in. They're yeah. so extreme that, you know, it's the only community in which they look like moderates. But you've got, com- let's face it, if you say had a group of people communicating via headsets in, I don't know, I don't want you to pick out a language where which is seen as discriminatory, but let's say Pashtun or something similar to that. And you are doing, you are in the midst of this game chatter. So you've got people shouting, as, as you so eloquently point out, calling each other all sorts of unpleasantness. Actually monitoring what everyone's saying is really difficult. It's the equivalent of having a hushed, well, not a hushed conversation, a conversation in an incredibly busy space, and you've got to filter out all the ambient noise to hear what people are actually saying. I assume they just look for the players that keep blowing themselves up, then. Isn't that the main <laughs> I can't take well, I'm in you. trouble, then. <laughs> All right, listen, let's get some quick uh, next-gen news in. Apparently Tomb Raider's coming to Xbox One and um, PS4. Is that right, Mark? Yes, indeed. Tomb Raider Definitive Edition. It was uh, a rumour. I think it was Amazon. I think it was Amazon Italy, was it? That that kind of... It's usually the Italians that, that blab first. There's usually, yes, one side that accidentally puts up a listing. Um, and yeah, it, it's been confirmed. Um, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One will get... A version of it, January 31st, with uh, including AMD's Tress FX, which is the lovely kind of hair effect that was only previously seen on the PC. Um, it, it Touting Connect voice menu support, which doesn't sound that great. Um, PS4 controller light changes. Again, these are kind of tenuous little changes, and I think it, it's, it's something... Yeah, of course it's tacked on. It'll include... Um, all the downloadable content, which is obviously decent for anyone who hasn't picked it up but has got themselves a next-gen console. January 31st, it's perfectly slap in the middle of when everyone who's got one for Christmas might have played everything from the launch games and is looking for something else and things like um, Infamous Second Son and Titanfall aren't coming till a month or two later. So it's you know they've picked a nice little hole in the release schedule and they'll pick up a few sales from that. Well, they still have large bosoms on Laura Croft, or they keep making them smaller with each generation these days. No, they scaled them down. It was it was practically a, a, a feminist tract, the latest Tomb Raider. It bounce? was written by a woman, wasn't it, actually? Yeah. Now I think about it. <laughs> no, it was. It, it was, um, yeah, it, it was very much... Um, yeah, How has the jiggle, the jiggle algorithms? Are they still good, though? I don't think... Did Lara Croft ever have proper jiggle? No, I, no. I can't believe well, I'm being drawn into this conversation. <laughs> not in the, not in the uh, dead or alive school of, you know... No. no. <laughs> impossible gravity. No. Have you played it, Mark? Uh, I, I played a little bit of it. Um, you know, it was one of those games where there was a lot else out around the same time. Um, I was still ploughing through a, a kind of backlog of titles, so it never really kind of grabbed me, but it, it's... Yeah, it's definitely something that I'd look to pick up again if it's uh, yeah if it's suitably priced. Okay, and then quickly, Telltale are making a Game of Thrones episodic title. Yes, um, you know Telltale, uh, people behind The Walking Dead. Um, basically, everything you've said is about all we know. They're going to make an <laughs> episodic Game of Thrones game. It's unsure exactly what the the story arc will be. Um, I think they've said that it will. It, it is based on the TV series, but given that it's based on the books, you know, it doesn't really mean much. Um, but yeah, Telltale are great at kind of uh, making these episodic uh, titles and kind of stringing from one to the next and, and keeping people enthralled. And, and the level of writing in their in their games is, is top notch. So it does seem like a, a perfect marriage of developer and um, source material there. I'm okay, amazed it's taken this long, actually. I'm, I'm amazed it's taken this long, given how popular the TV series has been. As long as there's just as much gratuitous male and female nudity in the game, I'm sure it'll do extremely well. And a fair bit of violence too, and some swearing. I think that's what it's mean. the nudity that does it. Have you have seen you? the South? Have you seen the South Park episode? That no, but I've seen the. Um, see, that's the, the only Saturday thing. Night Live did one as well, where they got the 14 year old in the in the writers' room, basically going more, more boobies, more boobies. So <laughs> that's the only thing that doesn't kind of seem to fit with this story, which is. 
the fact that Telltale are known for, you know, very smart and and for certainly for video game uh, terms, uh, mature writing. And Game of Thrones does have its more. What's a nice way to put this? Uh, slightly base moments. Yeah, although it is very mature writing, there are some absolutely brilliant sequences in the TV series, some some of the best writing I've ever seen on television, in my opinion. Interspersed with, you know, Knockers copious bosom shots, yeah. you know. <laughs> which I, yeah, I wonder how that will translate. Uh, right. Um, now, uh, don't forget, of course, that on the 14th, it'll be the Games Podcast, I assume, Mark, yes? Should be, hopefully. Uh, unfortunately, Steve's thrown his back out, so we're, we're kind of, you know, running. You record it lying down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I managed to edit it lying down. Phil and I once recorded a podcast, both of us lying on separate, I like to point out, beds uh, in a hotel room in Vegas. I think so there's that story there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And on that, we'll round up games news. <laughs> we'll be back in a moment with movie news. What's at the cinema, Steve? Well, this week it's Homefront, which stars Jason Statham and is written by Sylvester Stallone. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just just brilliant. We're after a flying start. Well, you've, I've got you already. Now you're already thinking that sounds pretty good. Stallone and Statham <laughs> can't go wrong, really. Well, you, uh, I kind of actually, I know what to expect. I think. Well, Stallone's a pretty good writer. I, no, I don't disagree with that. It's just he does have quite a limited palette in the form of Jason Statham. <laughs> I am a massive fan. I think Jason Statham's brilliant. He's he's not a great actor, granted, but he, he's charismatic and, and quite charming in his own way. And I'll, I'll happily watch him in anything. Of course. <laughs> um, him, him in this particular rock. case, yeah, well, that, well, he's the new villain. Ah, we'll come back to that in a minute, actually. Um, okay, so basically, Homefront's based upon a book, so it's actually an adaptation on the part of Sylvester Stallone. He didn't write it for Jason Statham. Obviously, they've been, they've been working together on Expendables um, over the last few years. And Statham's a good choice. But, but the basic premise is that he's an undercover cop. Um, he has enough of being a cop. And he his wife dies of, of, of uh, cancer. And he moves with his daughter to somewhere out in the, in the sticks, in the, somewhere in the south, you know, where there's lots of dueling banjos and that kind of stuff, for a quiet life to get away from it all. And he falls foul of one of the local bad families. And... Um, and trouble ensues, basically. It turns out that James Franco, uh, who's like the local drug dealer, um, who I can't really take seriously as a villain these days. Not after, He's been in too many comedies now. He just, you just don't think him as being any remotely villainous, and you know that Statham would beat him with his little finger. Um, but uh, they force foul of them, and, um, you know, and trouble ensues. And there's, there's lots of very brutal but really well-done fight scenes. Um, obviously, uh, Statham has to, you know, man up and uh, protect his daughter, you can probably get, you can pretty much guess what's going to happen. It's got a, a surprisingly interesting cast. It's got Winona Ryder in it. Who, I've got to say, he's looking bloody good for forty-one. Um, it's got Kate Bosworth, who really plays a skanky meth head, crackhead whore really well. I have to say, um, James Franco, as I mentioned, and um, and Jason Statham. And it's yeah, it's it's a fun movie. I, I really quite enjoyed it. Uh, nothing new in it. You know exactly what's going to happen, where it's going. You know, there's, there isn't a single surprise anywhere in the plot. But I do enjoy watching the Stath beat the hell out of people, and he does a lot of it in this film. And uh, and the, the, the fight scenes are actually really well choreographed. They're actually quite brutal. Uh, I'm surprised it got a 15 certificate because it's it's it, it is really violent. So if you fancy a, a mindless uh, evening at the Flex, uh, you know, just for a bit of fun, Homefront would be my my, my choice. Uh, I believe Cass is doing the review right now. So that should be up soon. But, does uh, yeah. he even pretend to do an American accent? Or is he it does standard? Ameri- does his usual Statham American accent, which doesn't sound anything like an American accent. It's just bloody awful. Uh, I wish he just did do an English accent and not even bother, really. He sounds like a sort of ultra-violent Lloyd Grossman when he does that, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> With a shaved head and a giant chin. And a, and a, and a cooking sauce, yeah. <laughs> Hits you with a jar of it if you're not careful. Peering through keyholes and all that, yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's home phone at the cinema. Uh, Blu-ray's released this week. We've got ah, finally One Direction. I can that's finally not, get that's the not this week. That's not this week. I've got to it's, take issue with that. As a parent who's got <laughs> children desperate for this film, it's not out to the nineteenth. It's out in the states, I think, this week. Oh, and is it three D? It's in three D. It's not the nineteenth. It's not a week. Yeah, it's the nineteenth. Well, it says it says that on Amazon yeah. and everywhere else. So presumably right. Steve, your enthusiasm has got the better of you. <laughs> Unless you're important. You might be important. None of us you know, wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, well, it's the Croods, which I actually saw last week. I quite enjoyed it. 
Um, My wife fun. said it was as funny as drowning. That really? her, her direct quote. She said it was unbelievably <laughs> bad. But, oh, um, not that bad. It's all right. It's, I mean, it's just a cartoon for God's sake. Kick-Ass 2, which I'd probably avoid if I was you. With the Millers, um, funny in places, but frankly, no one's going to buy Jennifer Aniston as a stripper. Two Guns, which actually I did enjoy at the cinema. Um, that's, and Kaz's reviews just gone up, actually went up um, this morning, I think. And The Conjuring, which is uh, scary in places, but I wish they wouldn't try and claim it's based upon reality because we all know that's cobblers. I suppose we should make a quick mention of also that uh, Kaz's review of Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom, has also gone up on the site. Uh, he actually got to see this a month before it comes out. It doesn't come out until January. Um, but obviously, unfortunately, the timing was... was, was uh, not quite fortuitous, but um, obviously with Mandela's death. <laughs> um, it's just a coincidence, I like to point out. But um, <laughs> yeah, we can't try and take advantage of anything here. Yeah. <laughs> Much. Um, he said it's a, it's a solid biopic, but apparently Idris Elba is superb in it. And you've got to think, you know, with Mandela actually dying, would that give his, his chances of getting at least an Oscar nomination, if not a win? Must get a serious boost off the back of that if it's a sympathy vote. Yeah, speaking of uh, well, people passing, obviously we, we talked about Paul Walker last week. Terrible news, Ed. They've uh, closed down Fast and the Furious 7. Indefinitely? Uh, well, uh, they don't know. They, they're trying to work out what to do now. Um, I suspect what they will do is they'll claim on the insurance and then start reshooting again. Um, I think they, what they don't want to do is try and shoot around him or change the plot or fake it. You know, the, 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 the impression you're getting from the thing like The Hollywood Reporter is that they're going to... Uh, claim on the insurance which they're entitled to do under these circumstances uh, and then just and then shoot it and leave his character out of it so basically you know because i think at the end of the sixth film there was a kind of resolution to his character anyway and he was he had his, he had the, his girlfriend and his baby and so they didn't they don't need to bring him in obviously they can't now but they could drop the character without it being a major difference to the fast and furious seven and just stick with the rock and um mm. and vin uh, and jason statham who's in it as the villain so i mean they've got to make the film because it's going to be the best film next year no question about it <laughs> Shut. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but they have uh, shut down production. So it certainly won't be coming out uh, in July of next year, which is obviously when, they, when Universal wanted to come out. It was their tentpole movie for the summer because um, it's made like 800 million. The sixth one made 800 million this year. So they were really banking on that one for next year. But unfortunately, the circumstances are they're going to do the right thing, I think, and, um, and reshoot um, with a different script. If they reshoot, if they claim on the insurance and reshoot, does that mean that they can't use any of the footage that they've got thus far? Yeah, no, they can use the footage, um, but if they're going to rewrite it so they have to m drop Paul Walker's character. I'm just thinking of the big kind of, you know, car totaling scenes yeah, and those kind of things. Stunt things, they could probably use that because obviously it wouldn't be Walker anyway. Um, but just dropping his character, Brian uh, Brian O'Connor, I think is what they need to do in some way, rather than trying to shoot around it or change the plot. I think they should have to come up with a new story. But whether they'll use any of the footage they've already shot, don't know. Right, what else have we got going on? But BBC have launched, or will, tomorrow. Oh, actually, by the time this goes up, it was yesterday. Uh, BBC have launched five more HD channels. Mark Hodgkinson, want to quickly yeah. talk about this? That's it. A quick, yeah, it's, it's pretty much a quick uh, story on all the major platforms. So that's Freeview, UView, Freesat, Sky and Virgin. Uh, five new HD channels to launch, except with Freeview, you're going to have to wait a bit longer because they are the... Um, Ninth Mux, I believe, uh, is not quite ready yet, but it's there the, on the EPG now for um, certainly for Virgin. Um, and the channels are BBC 3 HD, which you can keep as far as I'm concerned, BBC 4 HD, which is great news, BBC News HD, CBBC, and CBBS. Um, so, yeah, five more channels, term channel numbers to learn in the various EPGs. Uh, good news, but I think. Something last week that struck me, actually, just following on from that, which is probably a bit more interesting, maybe, um, was the uh, one of the um, big ways of BBC North, who was speaking at um, a t the TV digital TV World Summit, and he went on to say uh, it was quizzed about 4K and UHD. Got to get some 4K in there, sorry, Steve. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he he came out and said, "Oh, actually, uh, we." Sky are going to beat us to this, which we've we've said all along. There's, there's always going to be Sky that will uh, we're going to innovate more uh, than the Beaver on this one, uh, and we're concentrating our efforts on improving uh, broadcast 1080, um, looking at wider color gamuts, higher frame rates, uh, better compression, um, more accurate bit depth, that kind of stuff, which is all the stuff we're hoping comes with the 4K standards. 
uh, only the BBC are sort of ploughing their own furrow uh, down the 1080 route because they're of the belief that uh, it'd be an awful long time before we'll see the benefits of 4K in the home as a broadcast um, as a broadcast medium. Um, but it just begs the question: Well, they're going down this route, but um, the manufacturers certainly aren't. Um, so I'm not sure why, what they're doing really. But uh, yeah. well, it's, it's an admirable ambition to improve 1080p. But let's be honest here. What are they going to do? Widen the colour space? Well, the TVs that are currently available, you know, that have been bought to date, don't have that kind of colour space. They can't do anywhere near Rec 2020 or even DCI. No, so it's, it's kind of just vaporware talk, isn't it? Yeah, it just said, well, well, you know, the bulk of our R and D money on the future of TV is going into in, into 1080, effectively, and uh, they're, they're just leaving 4K alone for now. So yeah, well, it seems strange that, that all this money could just be wasted. Could be licensed um, fee payers money just down the pan because if the manufacturers don't support it then what's the point on the plus side i just need to bring this back to reality uh, firstly that's being serious for just a, a picosecond which i don't like doing um they as a state-funded broadcaster have to put their effort in where the majority of hardware still resides agree uh, so they have to be careful on this and let's face it how fantastically orange are the people in snog marry avoid going to look once they throw this technology at BBC Three HD, I for one can't wait. <laughs> I just, I just don't see the point in going down this 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 route when the manufacturers patently are going down the four K route, and so they're not going to have the hardware support for for their efforts. But you know, that's the BBC sometimes. I doubt we'll see much out of it. To be honest, will we? Will we, uh, no, Mark? I doubt it. No. Uh, and finally, before we move on, Netflix everyone's favourite channel. Uh, they've got some quite cool stuff coming. They've got, um, I've, now, I know that you've seen this, um, Mark Hodgkinson, because we were talking about it with you last week, but mm. they're doing some, there's a film called Turbo, which is an animated movie uh, available in 3D. A snail. Yeah. A snail, yes, which actually I really enjoyed. Yeah, I, did, I knew nothing about it when I watched it, but actually found it to be quite charming and fun. Samuel L. Jackson's really funny in it. <laughs> I'm going to pretend I didn't hear what I quite clearly just heard. <laughs> um, what happened there? <laughs> um, they've done some Christmas specials. They're doing uh, is it a mini series or some little yeah, it's six six uh, shorts, a clutch of uh, it's just as far as I know, there's like twenty five minute programs, um, five or six episodes launching on Christmas Eve, exclusive to Netflix subscribers. So, um, it's a deal they penned with uh, DreamWorks, isn't it? Um, yes, that's right. Uh, so yeah, well, and they'll, they're going to release more more of these around um, the school holidays, based around the school holiday schedule. So the, we'll expect a few more, perhaps next half term or perhaps Easter. Oh, being America, I guess it's going to be Easter before we see any more. Um, yeah, and it, it promises to be you know something entertaining for children of all ages. And for the adults, even better news in February, the second season of House of Cards. House of Cards. Yeah, superb news. I think I think we're all we're all fans here. Um, yeah, February the fourteenth. So any singletons out there uh, needn't feel lonely that night. You can cuddle up with Frank. Uh, and binge yeah, yourself. <laughs> binge yourself, silly, until the early hours on the entire series of uh, season two of uh, House of Cards, which will be available. Feb 14th. Oh, what, they're dropping the whole series in one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two next fix Yeah. Phil. Um, Phil. Simon, Simon you've, you've just done a, a top top TV Blu-rays of the year, and I believe, mm -hmm. I believe um, House of Cards is one of your choices. House of Cards was in there, absolutely. Fantastic series. And seriously good on blue, so... Unfortunately, I'll be waiting for season two to come out on blue because that's where it's best to watch it. Well, it doesn't look too bad on Netflix. Why don't you just watch it on Netflix? Watch it on Netflix and buy the Blu-ray. <laughs> I can't wait a year. I just, I just, I'm anyway. not good at that kind of thing. So I'm going to watch it in one weekend come the yeah, I'll be done by the February. February the 20th, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> right, okay, well, that's it for movies for this week. We're we'll back with um, our Christmas Ghosts of Technology past. Okay, well, last week we discussed, uh, so I guess the ghosts of uh, Christmas technology present, and there was any. If I thought it was through better, we'd have done the past and then the present and then the future. But this time we're going to do uh, technology from the past, things that we've got for Christmas that really we really loved back in the past, but maybe might seem outdated now. Technology that I think changed the game in some respects, 
or just stuff that we just loved. So let's kick off with, I'm, not, I'm going to save Ed till last because I know there's something ridiculous lined up. Um, Simon, Simon, you've been a bit quiet so far. What, what are your favourite tech from the past? Favourite tech from the past. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of an age. <laughs> You're ancient. <laughs> I'm of an age. <laughs> um, and there's been, been a number of things that have uh, really inspired me. I mean, like, uh, I can remember, I can remember getting a video console i cannot remember the name of it it was small it was white there were no cartridges there were wires everywhere um and it was like pong but it wasn't it had a block moving around the tv screen and you had what was supposed to be a gun but it looked more like a a, a sausage on a stick and you had to touch the tv with this thing and it made the the little square pop now then, what's that? Oh, you actually touch the screen with it. You touch the screen with the, the, the. Yeah. It sounds like now, Wii Tennis. How old were you then? That's the early version of Wii Tennis. Exactly. <laughs> um, You're making forum. that up, Simon. No, no see, I, if, well, if I am, my mind is, is completely gone because I'm I can clearly it. remember this white box. Loads of wires. I mean, you know, meters Bin, and meters. Binatone, maybe? I think there's no way I can remember the name. White Someone box. Someone play the elevator music while we Google it. <laughs> yeah, somebody out listening to this, this this podcast will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, ah, yeah. But strangely enough, it never turned me into a gamer. Geriatric age, you mean? <laughs> it, it never turned me into a gamer. I was. Um, <laughs> That's probably what put you off. To be fair. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I mean that. I mean that's just that's just a, a memory. Wait, 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 wait. So your only memory, your technological high point. No, no, no. That's, that's, <laughs> the last thirty years has been touching a screen with a sausage and making a square go pop. There's, there's. Uh, <laughs> that sounds yeah. like your video computer. <laughs> no, no, that was that's just something I dredged up from my memory. I mean, I'll be intre- I thought you guys might remember it. It's just, um, yeah. Nope. I've never heard such technical oh. wizardry as that. Touching the screen oh. and making it pop. How old were you then? Oh, I was... Uh, 36. <laughs> I was really, really young. I was living in um, Worcester Park, so I would have been six or seven. Yeah, it was it was a hell of a time ago. Um, I don't remember that. Well, I don't 30, remember that. I don't I know you then, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose um, uh, what technology that I've really enjoyed getting, um, I would let it be far more modern, actually, was my very first um, DVD player. Because that really um, was an eye opener. That was in oh blimey, ninety eight was it? It was really expensive then, um, three hundred quid or something it was. And my my then wife bought it for me because she had no idea what I wanted. And I was you know gradually building up a very very large VHS collection, which was gradually taking over more and more rooms. And she felt the way to reduce this was to reduce the footprint of the di- of the tapes by turning them into discs. Um. And she went out and got me this. I can't remember the name. Was it a Grundig? Might have been a Grundig. Big silver thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I think that was, that was a quantum leap at the time, wasn't it? From VHS was. tape to DVD was just unbelievable. The difference in picture quality, obviously, the, the, the ease, the, the, you know, the fact that you just put the disc in and you could access the menu and go wherever you wanted with no need to rewind a tape. It was more durable. The image quality was vastly superior. The sound quality was vastly superior. Um, the actual boxes obviously were significantly smaller because your wife was thinking about mm-hmm. storage space, but not 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 picture quality. But your benefit, I suppose, it was picture quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was just. I remember when I got the first. Um, um, I was a big Laserdisc fan, and uh, I was very anti DVD as it was being developed and, it, and then the news was coming through. And uh, originally, it was going to be a format war. Then they got together, um, um, Philips and Sony, and and you thought, okay. I don't. I don't want this. I, I want Laserdisc. I'm DVD. This usurper can go screw itself. And then I saw my first DVD, you know, anamorphic DVD, and I just thought, oh god, this is going to cost me a fortune. <laughs> well, actually, it didn't, because of course DVDs were significantly cheaper than bloody great big Laserdiscs, where you'd be dropping a hundred quid on a box set and thirty or forty quid on on just one movie. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was very anti DVD until I actually saw it, and then then I was a massive convert almost immediately. And I got my in March nineteen ninety seven. I got the Vision Toshiba, the first I think it was the first DVD player actually launched. Got it from the states. You could only buy about six Warner Brothers titles that were only available 
in about six US cities. And I had a friend in New York. So I got them to, to buy those titles and then ship them over to me in the post. Um, and it was a couple of Sony discs too. I think uh, In the Line of Fire was one of them. Uh, but yeah, it was just a, uh, just a revelation in terms of, I mean, going from VHS tape to laser disc was one thing, but this was just incredible. But okay, let's go back to uh, Christmas presents. Um, Mark Hodgkinson, what about you? Uh, the first one that came into my mind was, uh, I don't know if anyone remembers, it was a, an MD Games thing. I was seven, so I was very excited about computer battleships at the time. Anyone remember that? The, the, yes. The, the yes. Tens- yeah, the pinging sonar, building up the tension, programming in your ships, and then you launch your, your missile with full sound effects. And if you hit, there was a spectacular explosion uh, via a light show on the console. That was quite exciting, and that led into the next year was uh, probably the, probably my biggest excitement at Christmas being age eight was the uh, Atari uh, VCS two six hundred console, made styled from um, wood effect plastic, cartridge mm. loading, uh, and I I can remember my dad was chasing around on Christmas Eve to get me one of these, and he eventually ended up getting one some some uh, out some retail outpost in Derbyshire, which was quite away from me. Uh, uh, and he got it home on Christmas Eve, and I could wait no longer. So the, the whole family engaged in a bit of combat, which was the tank fighting game. Uh, I had Superman with it, and I had Breakout, and I was never, ever been so happy in all my life. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I, never, I never had that. I, went, well, I had loads of mates who had it, but I never actually owned it myself. Yeah, I got Space Invaders <laughs> later. Yeah. I don't think Space Invaders was out when I got the console. I, I seem to remember it came out a few weeks later. So yeah, that, that was the next delight. Yeah, I would spend many an hour sat in front of Space Invaders, getting to about level fifty before it got too much. <laughs> I think the game that was a game—excuse the pun—but a game changer in terms of technology was Simon Says. Because I'm pretty sure that's one of the first games that used that was MB games as well, wasn't it? electronics in it like a microchip uh, you know it was it was the beginning of the technology you know the, the microchip age when games went from big board games obviously to something that was more electronic um i guess what was that that would have been in the early 70s yeah that was mid 70s yeah 75 76 around there yeah i, I think i think that, that was my mind there was a great little um what was it? it i think it was called the professor does anyone yeah, remember, I remember that? that yeah i do which you it had like a simon says type game on it i had it, it. it had, I had one of those yeah, like nine little, um, you know, three rows of three, and you could do noughts and crosses and a Simon Says game and all those kind of things. That was great. Yeah, it was an evolution of Simon, wasn't it? But yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was I good. remember getting a portable uh, game. I mean, it would have been like, I guess, an early version of a Game Boy. It was a, a little screen, a little Nintendo, joystick. Was it Nintendo? Right? No, it wasn't Nintendo. It was, it was just like a Space Invaders kind of style game. It wasn't actually Space Invaders, but it was a version of that. And it was battery-powered, and you could take it. And I, I got it for Christmas, and then we went on holiday, and I just spent the whole holiday just playing this thing over and over again and replacing the batteries when they went dead and playing it constantly. But that, at the time, was, like, brilliant. I mean, it, I'd love to see it now. Oh, was it, it in the style so of, like, like a, was it almost shaped like a pinball table? And it, had, and it went up. It had, like, a little, a little, little screen. Little, the screen was like, you know, imagine an old-style PC... Yeah, it was a miniature version of an old style PC. Yeah, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. There, yeah. there were loads of those around at the time. Yeah. I, I remember having a, a a bright yellow one with the flat LED screen, and if you held it at the, at the right angle, you could see which lights would light up. Power <laughs> yes, batteries. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so you knew. Which but they were they were the they were the dogs bollocks, man. They were the thing to have. They were really really cool. Yeah, one of the best presents I think I ever ever had. At the time. Um, well, now we're talking about games, consoles, and that kind of stuff. But Mr. Botwright, what's yours? Unsurprisingly, it's gaming related. Uh, the SNES Starwing Bundle mm-hmm. was kind of my introduction to you know proper console gaming. It was something I'd gone in for as a kind of dual present with my sister, but she. Welched on the deal too late, and I refused to change my Christmas present choice. And so, score one for emotional blackmail. <laughs> it, it was one of those Christmases where my parents tried to pretend like, you know, all I'd got was the pair of shin pads. And I played along, but secretly, I'd seen it in the back of the cupboard a week <laughs> earlier. 
<laughs> you, were relaxed, you were relaxed at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who else to do that? I used to always know what I was getting. And I had to fake surprise on Christmas morning. My sister once unwrapped all her presents and then tried to wrap them up again very, very badly. <laughs> I used to find them and play with them long before we ever got No, I was, I was very patient. I never looked at anything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> No, it's uh, yeah. It, it was that that kind of first introduction to to proper console gaming. Before that, I'd just been on the the Commodore sixty four, and so to to switch from loading everything from tape, and uh, I suppose back to Maxell pirated tapes at that to suddenly go towards cartridges and things loading straight away. And of course, with Starwing, the Super FX chip. You know, I was in 3D gaming there. I, I was properly next-gen at that time. Yeah, you know, that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I missed out on all that. I've got no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's because well, you were I'm just too busy poking one. screens. <laughs> yeah. No one knew what you were doing. <laughs> that was when I was... This is rubbish. That was years ago. <laughs> yeah. no, I just missed all this. The first game console I had was a, was a uh, PlayStation. That was the first one I got. I so wish that, mine was. Because mine, as I say, I've had sort of heaven and hell for for certain games-related Christmas presents. Because one year I got, uh, actually, my brother and I, we both were given Game Boys. Uh, it was remarkably generous on the part of my parents. And um, they, obviously, they both came with Tetris, and then they, we got an additional game each. Uh, I can't remember which one my brother got because it was rubbish, but I got Motocross Maniacs, which was indisputably the finest Game Boy game of the lot there was nothing that got close to that in terms of just sheer genius and then the very next year i got an atari jaguar oh my god <laughs> oh now that's good now that's that i never got utter uh, literally if 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 disappointment has a physical manifestation it <laughs> is the, the atari with it was it, it was other than the fact what's... it had four games, yeah, it was the lack of games, a not, million not the hardware. pop. It was like yeah. Neo Geo, and and then it was appallingly difficult to program to, to write games for. So well, nobody controller. And the, yeah, the controller, you could beat someone to death with it. I mean, anyone that thought the original Xbox One controller was a bit a bit, a bit bit large clearly never used an Atari Jaguar. It basically had an entire sort of spare, I felt like a storage heater at the back of it. It was ridiculous. They just chucked was... on loads of different buttons, didn't they? Yeah, most of them never did anything. And they, literally, there was a race, a Formula One racing game, which was Chud. Uh, there was Aliens versus Predator, which managed to suck all of the joy out of the entire franchise, which was quite an achievement. And then two others, which I don't remember. It was, it was not my, not the most inspired thing that my brother and I ever asked for. Um, uh, it was just. Yeah, limitlessly disappointing. You know that you've not done, you've not picked your Christmas present well when it's already languishing, doing nothing by Boxing Day. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good sign. It's disappointing. No. But I mean, money, I say, go on, go on, go on, no, go on, go on. But just say, obviously, we were having in the preparation for this earlier on. Um, the one, the, the single most joyous in any way electrical thing I received was the Christmas of Skeletrics and I think that was 90 or 91 and as well as the track my parents splashed out on the the light up start gantry thing and the smoking grid start thing with the smoke that made you hallucinate if you got too near the oil that made it that was I'm possibly because I was tripping my tits off that was possibly the most magical Christmas present I've ever got yeah, I'll, go, I'll go along with that. Scale electrics. Uh, not only then, uh, I think that's still the case now. In fact, I'm thinking I might buy some on Amazon when we finish this, conference, this podcast. <laughs> I recording. was looking at the scale electrics. Scale is still brilliant. <laughs> They've got some in. Uh, oh, I won't say the shop, but it was a uh, Star Wars based scale electrics, and I was <laughs> Ooh, I was really? genuinely tempted. Yeah, Ooh, I was genuinely that tempted. Good. I might have to invest in that after this podcast. <laughs> Because that's one of the great things about being an adult, right? When you're an adult, you can buy whatever the hell you like for Christmas. <laughs> you yeah, can buy whenever you I, like. I have to say, now I've got the now now now, now I actually ha- am the proud owner of a son. I am actually quite uh, looking forward to, uh, to 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 buy to, to to experiencing all of this through the eyes of a child rather than an adult, where it never quite meets the promise of how it did when you'd <laughs> eaten literally eight thousand calories of chocolate for Christmas already. You were so excited you almost threw up when whatever you opened. So yeah, I mean, the, you, it's ne- you're never going to get quite the same experience. Whereas this is, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward no, to. Years what to you come. really mean, Ed, is you're going to buy presents for yourself under the guise of buying them for your son. <laughs> I think that that's any father's prerogative. 
lucrative. I'm Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, so, yeah. Don't, 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 I've know. got two girls for my shopping list this week. Oh, yeah, you're buggered, oh. aren't you? I can't, I can't say it too loud because they'll hear me. I've got to buy, <laughs> I've got to buy a Nile and uh what's his name what? harry posters from one direction i've got to find them online individual <laughs> that's what i get that's what i get to buy <laughs> yeah, boy you fancy boys well you can go and buy some my cyrus for them or something like that and just pretend i thought that. you were going to tell him where you could buy them there steve <laughs> <laughs> I, everything i buy comes from amazon basically so try there mark at least yeah that's at least you get the anonymity of online shopping Exactly. I'm going to go up to the counter and ask for a one direct one di- one direction. <laughs> a one direction poster. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I'm upset that I've got to wait. I'm upset. I'm upset. I've got to wait another five days for my 3D Blu-ray because so I thought it was next week. Beginning of I do hope you're doing the review for this, Steve, because I, I think I, you you dodged this at the cinema, and I don't I don't think that was fair. I think you should you should experience this film in all, all of its magic. Yes. Okay. So I've got that <laughs> and Theodore Rex to cover now. <laughs> yeah, except you've made no effort to secure Theodore Rex, whereas we know <laughs> that the One Direction movie is going to be on worldwide release. It's going to be roughly as difficult to buy as you know a, a, as a week's groceries from Tesco. So there is no excuse. And I want. And to... apparently, it's not bad. <laughs> I've heard. I'll let you know after Christmas. <laughs> yeah, you're going you're to have to watch. I've got no bloody gonna... choice, am I? Mark, you're going to start using it for when you're reviewing 3D. TV. 3D. <laughs> You'll have to. I don't know. We'll find out. Maybe it's reference 3D. <laughs> All right. Or so one we've done the present and the past. So I guess next week we'll do <laughs> Christmas we'll tech next. of the future. So <laughs> we can just make stuff up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were doing Simon <laughs> just making things up no no there's such things as a DVD <laughs> no, no touching touching a TV screen with a sausage on a stick to make a bullshit I'm sorry but this sounds like a repressed talk. memory <laughs> <laughs> were you were you the square Simon <laughs> All right, I think I think on, on that slightly suspect note, we'll probably call it a night. <laughs> and that's it for the AV Forums podcast for this week. Thanks to Mark Botwright. I got paid in puke. Mark Hodgkinson. Uh, you blow it tonight, girl, and it's keggers with kids all next year. Simon Crust. Did you have a brain tumour for breakfast? And Ed Sally. Our love is good. Let's go get a slushy. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and uh, bookmark avforums.com for the latest reviews, news and videos. Plus, why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I'm Steve Withers. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday. I love the insinuation there. Uh, if you liked it, give us a review. If you didn't, just keep it to the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just cock <laughs> off and leave us alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>